Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm here to record the Dvar Torah for Parshat Shmini. The title is Kashrut, Eating as an Act of Choosing Life. And may I start with an acknowledgement. I learned the basic concept of eating kosher as a way of expressing reverence for life from an article by Jacob Milgram, which I came across in the 1960s. Over the years, I've added some variations of my own. In his commentary on Leviticus, Milgram has expanded his views into a comprehensive and persuasive characterization of the laws of Kashrut. See pages 643 to 742. Our Parsha Shmini contains one of two clusters of laws in the Torah describing which animals, birds, and reptiles are kosher for eating and which are not. Kashrut is one of the defining religious practices of Jewish tradition. Over the centuries, there have been strong criticism of the idea behind kosher food. Scoffers dismissed the laws as, quote, Judaism of the belly, close quote. The New Testament quotes Jesus as saying, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. Spirituality, after all, should be all about nurturing your mind and heart and directing them to meaningful purposes not about satisfying your appetite or supplying nutrients to your body. Well, I beg to differ. The laws of Kashrut are an extraordinary paradigm of the Torah's spiritual vision, of an ultimate, ideal world, and how to live in the real world as it is, while simultaneously upholding a higher standard and working toward the final tikkun. Underlying this analysis is a fundamental thesis about Judaism. This is a religion that teaches that the highest value is life itself, and that humans are called to join in a covenant partnership with God to live on the side of life. Starting in the present real world, we are to develop life to its maximum. We are to work to improve both nature and society, to uphold all forms of life in all the dignity and value that we deserve. Finally, in every human behavior in life, there is a choice between life and death. The human calling is to maximize life and minimize death in every action, to whatever extent is possible. And all this is at stake in the laws of Kashrut. Eating is manifestly a matter of life and death. If you do not eat, you will die. However, what you choose to eat and how you prepare the food can further increase the quotient of life or of death in eating. Hence, the Torah regulates food and its preparation to shape the experience of eating into an act of maximum health and reverence for life. Crucially, the Torah's ideal of eating is vegetarianism. That is, that a person should not live by killing another sentient being. In the Garden of Eden narrative, not just humans, but all living creatures are vegetarians. Quote, God said, I have given you every herb-bearing seed and every tree on which is the fruit to you for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. According to Isaiah in the Messianic age, when the world is totally repaired, 
then not just humans, but animals will be vegetarian. Quote, the wolf shall live with the lamb, and the calf and young lion and the fatling together, and the lion shall eat hay like the cattle. However, in the current real world, the Torah pivots and compromises with the human situation. After the flood, God concludes to live with humans' imperfection, to make concessions rather than uphold ideal standards by force, and to work with humans to repair the world gradually in order to attain that final perfection. Given that humans need the protein, and given that humans' hunting is central to their food sufficiency, God grants them the right to eat meat. This permission is a concession which undercuts the sacredness of life. Therefore, a restriction is placed on meat-eating. Note that the laws of Kashrut are all about restrictions on meat-eating. All vegetables and mineral foods are kosher for all humans to eat at all times. The first law of Kashrut is imposed on all human beings, not just Jews. All humans are prohibited to eat blood. Blood is forbidden to eat because it is understood to be the carrier of life. See of this Leviticus 17.11 Obeying the ban on eating blood is humanity's acknowledgement that ideally it should not kill other living beings for food. We eat the meat, but the blood is not ours to consume. The life belongs to God. This restriction restores some of the sense of the sacredness of life, which was weakened by acceptance of meat-eating. Thus, it is a step from the present flawed reality toward the final stage when life will again be untouched and supreme. When the Jews enter the covenant of Abraham and later at Sinai, they commit to be an avant-garde, a kind of lead partners, if you will, in the universal covenant with humanity. So we commit to push harder toward the final stage by holding ourselves to a higher standard right now. Therefore, the Jewish laws of Kashrut apply many more restrictions on meat-eating. Note again that there are no restrictions on eating vegetables or mineral products. Thus, the Jewish religious diet tries to amplify the sacredness of life over and above that of the surrounding cultures, even when it permits meat-eating. The additional restrictions are calibrated to the level of life that one is consuming. The least developed form of life, defined as it appeared earlier in the creation narrative, are less restricted. The lowest form of permitted meat to be eaten under kosher laws is fish. There is only one general restriction on fish. Only a few species are permitted, those that have fins and scales. If one wants to eat flesh of the next level up of life, that is birds, then there are two general restrictions. One is, again, only a limited number of species are permitted. The Torah does not give signs that identify a kosher species, like fins and scales among fish. In the Talmudic discussion, however, the rabbis say there is one definite marker of non-kosher birds one with a prominent strike talon. This shows that the bird is a predator, which lives primarily by hunting other birds and smaller animals. Such a species, which lives primarily by killing, is ipso facto not appropriate eating, 
for a people which seeks to uphold the sacredness of life. I should add that in the absence of definitive signs of a kosher bird species, observers of kashrut have been generally been willing only to eat species that were known to be kosher by tradition, passed on from one generation to another. When the New World America was settled, the turkey bird was discovered. The turkey had undergone quite a process of vetting and review by halachas until it won through and was finally accepted as a kosher species. My reaction, I presume that turkey lovers should offer thanksgiving that the bird made it into the kosher pantheon. Now, the second general restriction on eating flesh of birds is that there is a specific ritual of slaughter by which it must be killed. This method of shechita involves cutting the juggler vein and the esophagus with a perfectly sharpened knife, with a totally smooth edge, clean, instant strike, not a tearing or gradual motion. The knife slash cuts off the flow of blood and air to the brain, causing instant loss of consciousness. In other words, the bird must be put to death swiftly and painlessly. If the bird dies by beating, wounding, crushing, etc., then its death is slower and its suffering greater, and it is not permissible to eat. Again, the process of kashrut minimizes death and suffering, thus upholding the preciousness of life even in the face of eating meat. The highest level of evolved life or permitted kosher food is land animals. Here there are three general prohibitions that restrict the meat-eating. The first, again, is species restriction. Only animals that chew the cut and have a split-hoof ungulates are permitted. There are very few species that fall into this category. We also know that chewing the cud, that is having a second stomach and rechewing and digesting the food, is because the animal's diet is strictly vegetarian and vegetables are more difficult to digest. It follows that all kosher animals are herbivores. They are not carnivores, not hunters. Now this begs the question, why should a peaceable, non-predatory animal be consigned to be eaten? What kind of reward is that for being of a gentle nature? But one possibility is that the Torah's deeper message is that you are what you eat. Eating predators instills aggression, be it physiologically or psychologically. Now, the second general restriction with animals is the requirement to shechita, kosher slaughter, to ensure a swift and painless death. I should add here that in recent decades, some animal rights groups have zeroed in on kosher slaughter, there's a long history here. Some of it is anti-Semitism. Some of it is that the kosher slaughterhouses were slow to bring painless and less difficult ways of holding animals before they were killed, particularly uh, larger animals. In any event, one hopes that the anti-Semites will not win out and further improvement procedures should meet the legitimate tests of reducing animal suffering while upholding religious freedom. Since cattle and large animals are more difficult to slaughter. Hoist and shackle treatments were developed to hold the animals down. Some of these procedures were painful and harmful to animals, so kosher slaughterhouses changed over to holding pens, which are more humane. Some fundamentalist orthodox slaughterhouses were slower to make these adaptations, and this has left some stain on the reputation of kosher slaughter. Nevertheless, the kosher slaughter laws are clearly intended 
to respect animal life, and to minimize their pain. The third general restriction placed on eating meeting of animals is in the method of preparation. Even properly slaughtered meat cannot be mixed or cooked with milk or served with dairy either. The symbolism is clear. Meat is the flesh of a killed animal. Milk is the nurture of life, especially mother's milk, and the verse in the Torah that mentions meat and milk refers to a kid in its mother's milk. So life is life, and death is death, and never the twain shall meet. That's a good articulation of the halachic approach. In Jacob Milgram's word, the tradition is objecting to the fusion and confusion of life and death simultaneously. The covenant asks its members to see life and death forces as in binary opposition to each other, and one must not blur the lines between them. Once the choice is stark and clear, the covenant participator is instructed to choose life. So every day, in every food preparation, in every meal, by not eating unthinkingly, or consuming whatever's at hand, or eating the standard food of the society, the kosher practitioner proclaims a commitment to the supremacy of life. The selection of food proclaims that she, or he, or we, are on the way to a vegetarian lifestyle, and to an age when humans will not raise their hands to kill another, beat animals or humans. I add a postscript. The dietary laws and their thrust to uphold life and proclaim its preciousness should not be seen as static. The principles of kosher should be applied to the type of food we eat now. Many people have given up meat in recognition that cattle, ranching, and meat preparation place enormous strain on the environment. So it is time to move a step closer to the messianic standard and away from meat eating. A new school of religious behavior has also arisen calling itself eco-kosher. It defines what it will eat or not eat by the impact of the food gathering on the environment. Participants won't eat kosher fish even if the species is kosher, if the species is overfished. I accept this as a valuable supplement to kosher eating. Others offer eco-kosher as an alternative regimen for eating designed to maximize the preciousness of life. I also propose adding additional criteria to kosher. Healthy eating, such as no sugar or salt. Proper payment and health protection for agricultural workers. Humane treatment in animal rearing and in bringing them to market and slaughter. The basic model remains to turn food preparation and eating into a way of living that upholds the preciousness of life.